that was sitting on the uh, chairs, and one thing in particular, there are some, some of those items that are coming a little later, but tomorrow we've got a, um, a picnic after the second service up at our uh, Johnson Siding Campus, and so you guys are welcome to join us. That starts at about 11.45 if you want to bring something to share, and uh, usually there's uh, plenty of food, and then we hang out in the meadow, and we play games and just enjoy the uh, enjoy a few hours together. So uh, feel free. We'd love to see you come up and um, join the rest of the Rimrock family up there, and uh, so you're invited. The details are in your bulletin there, and... Uh, Look forward to seeing you. If you have your Bibles tonight, would you pull them out uh, or turn on your app and look uh, look at uh, Matthew chapter seven is where we're going to be tonight. Matthew chapter seven. Now we're kind of in the home stretch of this series that we've been on on the Sermon on the Mount, and so we started in chapter five where God really begins to redefine kingdom values and how God wants us to live. Uh, to live. And then in chapter 6, we began to explore, or Jesus begins to clarify how we're to relate to God. And now as we move into chapter 7, he begins to explain how we're to relate with each other in view of the kingdom and in view of our relationship with him. And so we're in the, the home stretch, the last uh, a uh, few weeks here, working our way through uh, chapter 7 and the Sermon on the Mount. I want to start tonight with a poll. Now, polls have become kind of important. It's how some people in our culture decide what other people are thinking. And so I want to uh, just start with a little simple poll. And uh, I would love for you to participate. In fact, just to make sure that everyone uh, knows how to do this, I'm just going to read a statement. I just want you to raise your hand if the statement is true for you. So let's just practice together just raising your hand. Are you ready? One, two, three. Okay, see, we needed the practice because some of you guys are not in the practice. Let's try again. Just raise your hand. One, two, three. Go. Okay, good. Excellent. Good. Very quick learners. Good. Okay, so you got your arm ready. You know how to do it. Here's the first statement. Raise your hand if you've ever received encouragement from a phone call or a note. Anyone? Excellent. Good. All right, here's the next one. They're easy. It's an easy test. All right, here's the second one. Raise your hand if you've ever been comforted by a hug from a friend. Anyone? A few of you. Okay, a couple of non-touchy people out there. That's all right. All right, here we go. Here's the third one. Raise your hand if you've ever felt insulted by a harsh comment. Anyone ever felt insulted? Yeah, me too. Okay, here's the last one. Raise your hand if you've ever been motivated to change by someone's judgmental words. Anyone? Okay, a few of you. That is, it's always surprising to me. Um, that, that, that that's motivational. Because here's the question that I've been, um, here's the question that I've been wrestling with, right? Is, is judging ever or always a negative thing? Is judging always a negative thing? I worded the last question in the poll specifically. I wanted to use the word judging because that has such a negative connotation, Right? And so we hear in our culture, we hear comments, uh, phrases that are used, phrases like, 
who are you to judge me? Or uh, maybe this kind of uh, statement. Let him who has uh, no sin throw the first stone. Right? Like these are comments, these are uh, statements that are made. And oftentimes um, they're made by people who believe that morality is flexible or it's relative. What's true for you isn't necessarily true for me. And it seems like there's an indication when those comments are made that, that it's never appropriate, appropriate for us to evaluate or comment on somebody else's beliefs or their behavior, right? And a lot of times that thinking is reinforced by tonight's text, So if you've got Matthew chapter 7 in front of you, let's start there in verse 1. Look at what it says here. Jesus is teaching, and this is what he says, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. He says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite. Take, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So we read a, 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 a section of scripture like that. We read those verses And it seems like the the meaning of it is very, very clear. Jesus says, do not judge. But I think you really have to read the whole thing. And I think you have to look at it in light of the whole conversation, the whole sermon that he's giving. Jesus is really shifting the focus now to how do we relate to each other? How do we live with each other in the context of the values of God's kingdom, and our relationship with the Father. So what is Jesus really saying in this, in this passage, in, this, in these verses? How, what's he really saying? Is he saying that sin doesn't matter? I mean, is he saying don't judge, like ignore what other people are doing, what their behavior is or what their attitudes are or what their beliefs are? Is he saying just ignore that and live your own life? I don't think so. I don't think so because that message isn't consistent with the rest of the Bible. In uh, Romans chapter 6, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says, By no means. We are those who have died to sin. So how can we live in it any Longer. Sin matters. It matters to the point that God said, I've got to do something about it. I need to provide a fix for it. And it came at a very high cost for him. The life of his son for your sin. Sin matters. God still cares about that. So Jesus isn't saying just ignore the sin. So is he saying that, is he forbidding us 
from ever addressing or evaluating other people's behavior? I don't believe that's true either. In fact, in just a couple of verses, in in verse 15, in this chapter, the same conversation, Jesus says this. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Listen, by their fruit, you will recognize them. In the statement, Jesus is saying, you have to have your eyes open. There is a measure, there's an amount of evaluating what you see in other people and making some kind of evaluation about that. Some kind of determination based on the fruit that you see in someone's life. So what is it that Jesus is commanding? What is it that he's cautioning us about Because certainly he didn't make this statement just to confuse us. And I want to suggest to you tonight that there are three aspects that we have to try to keep in balance as we look at the fruit of other people's lives. As we look at and we see other people's beliefs or their, or their behavior. And when we choose to speak into that, we have to... We have to be very careful. And so I want to suggest to you three aspects that we want or that we need to try to keep in balance. Here's the first one. The first one is to examine ourselves first. To examine ourselves first. Right? Jesus says, how can you you help or, or get the speck of sawdust out of someone else's eye when you yourself have this plank in your eyes. Now, what I love about Jesus is that uh, he's, a, he's a brilliant teacher. And he uses these over-the-top kind of illustrations so that even dummies can get it, right? Because he hung out with 12 of them that were just like, uh, we don't really understand what you just said, right? So he's like using this extreme example no one's going to walk around with this plank sticking out of their own eye and not think that they have a problem but jesus says that is what it's like when you don't look at your own life first we have to look at our own selves first we have to see we have to first see ourselves very clearly very honestly We have to realize that we have sinned and that none of us are perfect. And when I read that, when I think about that idea of examining myself first, one of the first things that came to mind was um, the Isaiah experience. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. God had given him an incredible ministry, an incredible message to share with um, with his contemporaries. And God gave, um, gave Isaiah this incredible message that was a foreshadowing of what Christ was going to do uh, during his ministry hundreds and hundreds of years later. But he entrusted that message to Isaiah. But when we get to Isaiah 6, Isaiah gives us, uh, 
he gives us a clue as to what happened early in his ministry. Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1, 4, and 5. Here's what it says. In the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That's Isaiah speaking. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So here's Isaiah in this in this vision, in this, in this experience, he's in the throne room of God and he's beginning to describe it. And as he begins to describe it, it is over the top. It is incredible what he's seeing. And then he begins to describe these beings that are around God's throne and they're, they're constantly singing Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And in verse 4, this is what Isaiah continues. He says, And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, Woe to me! I am ruined! For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In that moment, as Isaiah stood in the throne room of God, before God himself, his only reply could be, I am wrecked. When we look at ourselves compared to a holy God, our sin is very exposed. And before we speak into the life of someone else, their behavior or their beliefs, we have got to look at ourselves first and realize that we are sinners. Not compared to somebody else, but, because, but compared to a holy God. Because he's the only one that matters when we go to compare. We have got to have an Isaiah moment. We have got to come to the place where we see ourselves accurately in comparison to a holy God. So we've got to start with that examining ourselves first. And by having that right perspective, then we can see clearly to speak or to help someone else. We've got to start with us. The second thing that we want to try to keep in balance here is that we need to choose our standard carefully. We need to choose our standard carefully. Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. And by the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The standard, the expectation that I have for someone else, that's the expectation that's going to be used from my back to me. So it's so important 
It's so important that we choose that carefully. I worked with a, a, a friend of mine and a pastor in Omaha several years ago. He made this comment in one of his messages, and it stuck with me. Here's what he said. He said, we tend to judge others based on their actions, but we judge ourselves on our intentions. Listen to it again. We, we tend to judge others based on their actions, but we judge ourselves on our intentions. Man, there's truth in that, right? Maybe you've had a similar kind of experience uh, being in a, a grocery store somewhere and, and you, you get to see, sometimes I, I, I will see a, a 10 second window between a, a parent and their child. I get 10 seconds out of the whole day and out of the whole experience that these two have been through. But I see 10 seconds. And then I feel like I've got the perspective to make some kind of judgment on the way she or the parent was talking to the child or the way the child was responding to the parent. And I can just sum up the whole story in 10 seconds. I don't have the perspective to do that, do I? No. And yet so often we approach other people, we look at other people, and we, we set this standard. We set this measure and we say, well, and we start making our determinations about them. And we set our standard. We've got to be very careful about that because that's the standard that's coming right back. Instead, if we can keep in mind that we have a very limited perspective, then it allows us to extend more grace in what we see and the way that we respond. Because truly, the only person, the only person who can know another's intentions, another's motive, is God. He has the whole perspective. He has seen all of it. And he's in a place to be able to make those judgments. Our perspective is very limited. So be careful about choosing your standard, but allow it to move us to respond with grace. Here's the third thing that we want to keep in balance. We started with examining yourself, examining myself first. And how do, I, how do I look in comparison to a holy God? And then choosing our standard carefully, the measure that we're going to use when we evaluate somebody else. But here's the third one now. We want to only comment, we want to only comment when it's helpful for the other person. We want to comment Speak into that person's life only when it's helpful for that other person. This uh, really what we want to do here is we want to be motivated by love and we want to speak with gentleness. 
Let's consider for a second, why would we ever speak into someone else's life about their, their behaviors or their beliefs or their values, the things that we're seeing? Why would we ever speak into that person's life about those things? Only so that they can see something that they don't see and be drawn toward Christ. If we see in someone else a belief that's wrong, it's sinful, it's harmful for them or for other people, and we speak into that, the only hope that person has is not our words, but a relationship with Jesus Christ who can change a person's heart. And so the way that we speak has got to be motivated by love and it has to be with gentleness in the hopes that they will move toward Christ. Paul addresses this in Galatians chapter 6 when he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Paul doesn't say just ignore it because it's too uncomfortable to talk about. He doesn't say go in there with your guns blazing and really give them the truth with both barrels. That's not what he says either. He says go and talk to them about it. Help them to see it. Help them to move toward Christ gently. Not pushing them away, but drawing them to the one who can bring healing. Let's face it, guys, that speck that Jesus talks about, the speck in that other person's eye is painful. It hurts. I mean, have you ever had the experience of having something in your eye? It hurts. That eye just starts to, it starts to water and then like out of some, you know, sick sense of, I don't know, empathy, the other one just starts going nuts, right? And you're just like, oh, I have got to get this thing out of my eye. And what do you do? What do you do, right? You could try the mirror, but you're not seeing anything like, oh my gosh, can I see? And I mean, they're red and they're, you know, your mascara is all over the place. I'm thinking about Evan. And I mean, all this, like, it's just a mess. What do we do, Right. Dude, can you see, is there something in my eye? We get somebody else and their perspective to help. Can you see what is in my eye? And then that poor person has that nasty job of like, oh, okay, yeah, I think I got it. Right? Got to be the grossest job ever to touch somebody else's eye. That is disgusting. But I'm going in because obviously you are in distress. You're hurting. So I'm going to help. I want to get that out. Right? The speck hurts. And so to bring help and a different perspective can help. It can bring relief for that thing that's in somebody's life that's causing pain, causing discomfort. But here's the thing, guys. 
None of us have been given the job of condemning other people. It is not in any of our job descriptions. God alone has the perspective and the right to to condemn someone else. So when we evaluate the fruit that we see in other people's lives, when we begin to make determinations about what they may be believing or what we see them doing, we have got to do it from the position of a fellow sinner. We have to use a grace-filled measure or standard for them. And we have to address it for the other person's benefit in a gentle and a loving way so that they may be drawn toward Christ who ultimately is the fix. Now, that would be a really great place in this message to what I call land the plane, right? Like just say, wasn't that great? And let's all pray together and have a great week. But I'm not going to do that right now, okay? Because I really feel like in this message, I want to twist this And I will look at this issue from another perspective. So far, we've been looking at it from the person that's seeing something and speaking into another person's life. That's the perspective. One speaking or judging or giving advice into another person's life. But I want to turn it around. Because many of us have been on the receiving end of judgment. We've been on the receiving end of those comments or the feedback or the rebuke or the judgment. And to be honest with you, oftentimes it hurts. It hurts. Now, whether the comments are made out of a good motive or not, maybe they're made out of a good motive, but they're delivered in a horrible way. You know what I mean? Like... Really, could you just back up and rethink that and say that again to me a little differently so that, you know, I'm not missing body parts when you're done talking to me? Right? Right? Here's the thing. What I want to ask, no matter how the comments, no matter how the criticism, no matter how the feedback comes, whether it's done gently and lovingly or whether it's done horribly wrong. I want, I want to encourage you tonight to do two things for me, please. I want you to consider doing two things. When you receive that feedback, when you've received those comments, those harsh and hurting comments, and they, they cut and they wound, and I want to encourage you, please, to do two things. First of all, I want to encourage you to resist being defensive or offended. I want you to resist being defensive or offended. Now, you can put those in your pocket and you can, you can use those later, okay? But, but the first response, I want you to resist being defensive and offended, And here's the second thing that I want you to do. I want you to listen to the words that are being said. If you can strip away the emotion and the 
the nastiness maybe or all of the other baggage that comes with the words, strip that away, but listen to the words that are being said. And then do what David does. In Psalm 139, King David, this is what he, this is what he prays to God. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When those comments, when that criticism, when that judgment comes and it hurts and it wounds and it cuts. I want to I want to ask you to please don't be defensive, don't be offended but listen to the words that, that you're hearing. Listen to the words that are being spoken and then take them to the Father and pray the way that David prays and ask the Lord who knows everything and says, God, is there any truth to what's being said here? Is there any truth to the words that are being said Search me, God. Look at me. Reveal to me anything in me that might be true about this. And then God, do your work in my heart and fix it. Fix it. Ask him, is there any truth? To the comments, ask him to reveal what needs to be addressed. Ask him to do the heart change that leads to holiness. I don't think God will uh, approve of the delivery when the harshness comes. But if we can listen to the words and then take it to the Father and say, is there any truth to this? Is there any truth to this? I don't want that to be true. I do not want that to be true of me. But is it true? Is there something that you see in me? Is there any part of that that's true? God, would you remove it? God, would you remove it? Would you heal me? And you know what? Sometimes our very loving, gentle, heavenly father is going to say, you know what? There is truth to that but I got the solution. I'll work on that in you. I've been waiting for you to ask. I can fix that for you. But let me tell you what else might happen. That those harsh comments come, that judgment comes, those statements that wound and hurt, and you take that to the Lord and you say, God, is there any truth to this? Is there any truth to this? I don't want it to be true, but if it's true, we got to deal with this. And, and your heavenly Father will also say to you, it's not true. That's not true of you. I know you. And that's not true. That's not true. And you know what you get to do with it at that point? You just let that thing go. You just set it down. Because the only person that really matters, your heavenly father who knows you, knows your intentions, knows your motives, knows you, has said that's not true of you. 
And guess what? You don't have to worry about it anymore. You can just set it down. You don't have to carry that thing around. You don't have to drag it with you everywhere you go. It's not a lens that you have to look through when you see other people or when you respond to other people. You just get to let it go. And there's a sense of freedom that comes from that. Our Heavenly Father deals with us gently. And we can trust Him to take those that harshness that we receive sometimes in life, whether well-intentioned or whether wrongly intentioned, and we can take it to our Heavenly Father and just say, tell me if it's true. And if it is, God will begin to do the work in you to make those changes. And if it's not, you get to experience freedom. Now, all that work starts at the foot of the cross, guys. And I really want to encourage you as Chris and the guys come tonight. We're going to sing another song or two here. But I really want to encourage you guys tonight can be an Isaiah moment for you. I really want to encourage you to listen as the guys are singing and playing. I really want, I really want to encourage you to allow yourself to enter into God's presence And just to have the Isaiah moment and say, God, what was said tonight? Is there truth in it for me? And what do you need me to do? What work do you want to do in me? Tonight can be your Isaiah moment. That allows us then to respond to others in a way that's full of grace and draws them to Christ. But it may be that you all stand... Maybe some of you guys stand before the Father tonight and all you see is sin because you've never entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ. See, with a believer, when someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus erases our sin and he takes our place. And when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus' holiness in our place. And if you've never entered into the relationship with Jesus, tonight can be your night. He doesn't give us a lot of hoops and a lot of hurdles to get there. He says you really need three things. First of all, you've got to admit that you're a sinner. Not compared to your neighbor, but, because, but, but compared to a holy God that you're a sinner. That you are in need of someone to save you because you can't do it yourself. You got to come to a place where you believe that. And then to trust Him. The Bible says, believe that Jesus is who He says He is and that He can do for you what He says He can do for you. You have to trust that. And if you trust Him to take your place, to take your punishment, then the Bible says, if you believe that, then you're saved. And then you got to open your mouth and you got to tell somebody else about it. Tell somebody else about that relationship that just launched. All that can be yours tonight.